church uh, even during the winter we are warm we stay warm and don't you like this new setup here did you also notice that only the young people sat here and then when they went away everyone wants to go far away from me I have no idea why <laughs> it's um, it, although I must confess this you should never be close to a speaker you know they have this tendency of um, I won't say stuff. They, <laughs> they speak. And when they speak, stuff happens. So it's good not to sit in the front row. What do you think? Vladarin, sorry? The preacher's passion. Right? It's the preacher's passion that comes out in other passionate stuff. <laughs> so, we, uh, so people don't sit in the front row. Um, Welcome, welcome to Redeemer Life. There is other stuff going on, you know, very um, um, stuff of great consequence, like there is something called the World Cup cricket that's going on. I think we should all pray very firmly for England to be defeated. I think that that should be the goal during this service. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but New Zealand is playing uh, England. This is the first time that they are in the final. You know, usually it's India, Pakistan, Korea, and those kinds of countries that defeat them. But this time we said, all right, you want to play cricket. Um, this will be your first opportunity to play against each other. So I, 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 I hope that um, uh, New Zealand defeats uh, England. There's also this thing called the Wimbledon that's going on, right? Have you heard about Wimbledon? It's... It's the tennis. We, we don't produce tennis players anymore, except for um, the Williams sisters. Um, you know, who was the only one? She was quite, not quite pregnant, but she was pregnant when she won the Australian Open, isn't it? So she got defeated by a youngster. But now there's an old guy who's in the final. He's really old. Do you know how old is he? He's 37 years old. Roger Federer is in the, in the final. Oh, I hope he defeats Djokovic. But they have played against each other for a lot of time. So I don't know. I don't know who's going to win that. It seems like Djokovic is leading by two sets to one. I think so right now. I'm, that's the latest update. But do pray that Federer wins just because he's 37 years old. You know... You all, when, you're, when you reach my age, you want older people to win. Um, I, so I don't know. Uh, I really like Roger Federer. He's, he's, a, he's a classy person, and so is Djokovic. Djokovic is a, is a good person and, and a good player. Um, I would encourage you, I would underline the announcements that have been made by Sean to come this evening. This is going to be a fascinating time uh, where we would give you the opportunity to carry jerry cans on your shoulder. Wouldn't that be great? You know, Have you ever carried a jerry can? Do you know what a jerry can is? It's what women carry for six kilometers. That's the average length of time uh, and place, um, uh, distance for women. 
in, in Africa, and I've seen them do that. When I take students to South Africa or to Kenya or uh, where, where it's so, so very dry, uh, or to India, where there's always women and girls, 13-year-old girls, 14-year-old girls, who to carry this jerry cans. It's really heavy for an average of six kilometers. And bad things happen to them along the way. So we want to pray for them while we are doing that. We want to hear stories about our sisters and brothers in other parts of the world because we have water, right? We just turn on the tap and we, we get nice water. We can drink from the tap. When I go to India or to Kenya, I never want to drink from the, from the tap because you'll get sick for life. You, know, you get all kinds of bacteria and all kinds of living organisms and pretty soon your system becomes a zoo. And people die of that. So let's pray for our brothers and sisters. This would be an opportunity for us to experience something. And David Hughesby, who has traveled for so many, he's, he's all over the world at all times, has got so much wisdom. I would encourage you to spend some time with him. Next week, of course, there's going to be Catherine Raja, who is uh, the leader of Freedom Firm. Uh, and Gina works with Freedom Firm. They rescue girls in, in, a, in very um, uh, dire situations because this is a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar industry where girls are taken as young as 13, 14, 15 years old. And uh, what Freedom Firm does is they somehow find out and go and rescue these girls with the help of police in different parts of the world like IJM does, or in this case in India. And, and next year I will be taking students to go and actually witness that in this place called Allahabad. So come next week in the evenings. We had a time of prayer last Friday. What an amazing time it was, Sean. I think it's not so much during these times, but in those smaller groups of prayer where we are able to really call upon God. And here from, on, on Friday, it was uh, uh, Peter and Catherine uh, who shared with us about what they are doing in, in, in France, in Lyon, uh, where again, there's a lot of people who are fleeing violence in Syria and in, in, in Africa um, and in Persia um, and coming there and they're finding Jesus. It's so powerful. So I would encourage you to come to these times because we get to hear about what our sisters and brothers are doing and we need to be praying for them. And let's also spend time uh, in prayer for our pastoral search committee. Thank you, Bobby, for, for the announcement. I think that's so crucial for not just the pastoral search committee, but I would encourage you in your small groups, in the life groups, to spend time in fasting and prayer. You know, once a week, it's, it's good for our health to, to spend time in fasting and in prayer and togetherness um, so that God provides the right person uh, for Redeemer life. And I agree with you. This is an amazing church. Whoever comes here, 
will be truly blessed to be here, to be among you all. So do pray, do, do spend time in fasting and in prayer. We're going through the book of Acts because we want to find out what, what happened in the early church. And can we, can we catch hold of that vision that God gave to, to the early um, disciples of Jesus, a very discouraged group of disciples who, who then experienced the risen Lord and the ascended Lord. And, and what are some of the first things they encountered? And how did God cause this gospel to expand? You know, this is the only movement that grew because of persecution. I, I, start, I, I teach students world religions. Whenever I teach them world religions, like yesterday, I took them to, uh, to, to the Baha'i Temple in, in Wilmette. Uh, quite an amazing building. We talked to the people there. We talked to the, the priests and the leaders there. I took them to, to, the, to the Jewish synagogue on Dempster where they met Holocaust survivors. It's fascinating when you meet people that are 80 years old and 85 and 90 years old who've seen horrible stuff. But there's been a lot of violence as a result of religion. Islam grew through violence, people killing one another, including uh, the, the, the leaders of the, of the Sunni movement and the Shia movement. It is only the gospel of Jesus where you have the early church being persecuted, but the church grew. It's so fascinating to read those early accounts of what God did. So we've gone through chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and some of the amazing things that God did through Peter and James and John and gave people like Peter the courage to, to talk about Jesus. Today we want to reflect uh, some on, on Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, where there is something that's happening there. The church is growing, and, and it's becoming multi-ethnic. It's, it's people that, that look at each other and they say, I don't know you because we don't have the same kinds of common experiences. You speak differently. You come, you come with all kinds of bad experiences and don't bring those bad experiences to us because we want to be pure. So that's where we encounter Acts chapter 6. It's when tensions are found. And then the Lord says to his disciples, choose people who would be able to take care of the stuff, the complexity of stuff that's happening in the early church. And, and all these people are chosen. There's, there's people like Stephen and, and, and others who are, who are all African people. Think about it. The early church was all African. The leaders were African. The best leaders of the church Langtantius and, and Origen and Tertullian and, and, and all of these people were from Africa, from North Africa. And those are the fathers of the early church who were chosen. But they experienced persecution. So that's where we encounter 
Acts chapter 6. So would you arise with me and let's read this. Let's read this text from Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. That's so powerful, isn't it? Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue, the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. O oh Lord, as we reflect on these words, and as we reflect on, on what you did through the early church, we pray that we would have the same face on our face. No matter what happens, O oh Lord, we pray that when people see our face, may they see the face of Jesus. So speak to us from your word. In the name of this shining face, the face of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Do be seated. Do be seated. Today I want to very quickly talk about um, 10 lessons that we can draw from the life of, uh, the life of Stephen, this, this first martyr. Um, I was hoping that we'd be able to see some of, the, um, some of the stories of more modern martyrs of, of the gospel, uh, but we're not able to do that. But I would encourage you, if you, if you can, you know, just go on this web, website called The Voice of the Martyrs. It, it's a fascinating website, fascinating group of people. It was started by, um, by um, uh, an amazing man of God by the name of Richard Wormbrand. I, I don't know if you met Richard Wormbrand. He was a tall guy. There was a time when uh, I spoke with him um, Oh, I'm dating myself now. I think it was about 25 years ago, which is a long time ago. At Wheaton College, there was a conference, and he and I spoke together, you know, and I was thankful to be speaking alongside this amazing legend of a person. He was tall. He was really, really tall, and his wife, Sabina, was really, really short. I don't know how did they meet. She was really short. He was really tall. And he used to dance. He was 85 years old, I think, then. But he would come in dancing on the stage and 
But you hear his story, there's so much pain. He was imprisoned by Ceausescu in, in those prisons in Romania. His wife was imprisoned. She had horrible th- stuff happen to her. He had lots and lots and lots of horrible stuff happen to him for years and years together. And, and I get students at North Park who are from Romania whose grandparents suffered the same thing. So they would come and they would share with my students about the voices of the martyrs. I think it's so important for us to hear their voices. Uh, so I would encourage you to hear the voices of present-day martyrs in, in Iraq, in, in North Korea. There's fascinating stories, hard stories, but fascinating stories who have overcome, of people who have overcome trials in North Korea, in China, in, in Iraq, in Pakistan. Uh, these are people who have gone through so much and who are going through so much. Um, but is this, this is nothing new. It, it happened there during the time of, of the early church in, in, in Acts chapter 6. But that also brings in a lot of complexity. So what are some of the lessons that we should draw uh, on? The first thing that happens here is if you open up to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1 in your Bibles... Um, Sometimes in these more established churches, they have pew Bibles, and then you can talk about we are on page number this. That's what I have to do with my students because, you know, 95% of my students have never seen a Bible in their whole life. So I would say we are on page number 556, and they'll turn to page number 556. So sometimes I've seen people do that in churches as well, some of these more traditional churches and and so, but we don't have that. We have our, you know, iPhones and our iPads and stuff like that. So, so open up to it if you, in, in some of those. To Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, In the days when the numbers of the disciples was increasing. Now, that is the context. The context of the early persecution of the church was a lot of persecution. Yet, at the same time, it's, it's growth. And you would say, well, you know, sing praises and say hallelujah because the church is increasing. But when the church increasing, when the church increases, then there is persecution. Not only is there persecution, but there's also conflict. Because there's people that come in. These are people that speak different languages. So there are people who are called the Hellenists. These are Hellenistic Jews and Hellenistic Gentiles. And they are Purists, these are pure Jews who say, we are pure Jews. How can you come and join us? And both of them have widows, right? To be a widow is a, is a bad thing. But of course, that also introduces conflict because the, the people who are the pure Jews, they said, our widows are more important than your widows because our widows speak proper Hebrew and, and proper Aramaic. Your widows don't even know how to speak proper Hebrew and proper Aramaic. And, and so you see how conflict comes about right in the midst of growth? And many times it happens because of the growth. And there's infighting. And there's destruction of each other. And there is racial issues that come about. And there's ethnic issues that come about. And there's gender issues that come about. But what do you do? 
What do you concentrate on? Do you concentrate on the conflict? Or do you concentrate on the gospel? So the apostles say, let us choose people. Let us choose people. In verse 3 it says, Brothers and sisters, let's choose seven men from among you who come from Trinity International University or who come from North Park University, right? Or who come from Northwestern University or who come from University of Chicago. And Why well, I hope we don't go looking for the pastors there because that's not what it says here. It says... These people, this, these people should be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. You know, I teach at North Park University, and so I'm able to say stuff like this. I think our system of education is horrible. It's all about teaching them knowledge, intellectual property, to teach them how to do this, how to do that. But that's not learning. Learning is wisdom. That's the highest form of learning. You know, I have students that will just write down these notes and they'll ask me, will this be on the test? Will this be on the test? And, and they're constantly writing down notes. I say, no, no, no. I want you to form yourselves into something higher than just intellectual knowledge. That is not learning. And that's very important for a pastor person. That's very important for a church leader. If a church leader is not full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that comes from the Spirit of God, then no matter how much knowledge you gain, what kind of exegetical work you can do, how much you know of theology, it goes nowhere. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Those are the kinds of people that were chosen because the apostles knew what kinds of things they would encounter. The cause behind the gospel has to be the Holy Spirit. The context is growth of the church. The context is conflict. And so one needs to be mindful of the cause behind the being of the gospel and the church. And that is the Holy Spirit. So Stephen was chosen, verse 5. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas all of these African people were chosen. That's so interesting, right? People were chosen from the minority. That's another very important lesson to draw on. Whenever we want to deal with conflict, we have to choose people who understand the conflict, who know the conflict, who know what it is to be down there and to be mistreated by people for generations together. That's what they did. But notice another thing. These people were full of faith and the Holy Spirit. You know, there's something that you would want us to have on our gravestone. 
I think that would be it. Don't you think so? I mean, I hope people don't write, I got my MDiv from here and my THM from here and my PhD from here and I did blah, 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 blah. I hope people are able to say that this person was full of the Holy Spirit. That should be our goal. That all people are able to say is, this person was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And if we keep that in mind, every minute of our life, every hour of our life, every day of our life, our lives will make a difference to those around us in the gospel. Stephen was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, Stephen a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people, but opposition arose. That's another important aspect of, of, of following the lessons of Stephen. One, one is to know the context, to know the cause behind the gospel, but also to know that there's going to be consequences. There's going to be always opposition. Life will not be a bed of roses. Whenever there's the gospel and the church is growing, there's going to be consequences. And, and of course, the, the consequences here are, are in, the, in, in, in the line of and in, in the context of argumentation. Argumentation. People wanted to argue stuff with them. I think that is... That's another lesson that we need to draw from, from, uh, from Stephen here because arguments never get you anywhere. I've done a lot of evangelism among Hindus, among, among Muslims, among Buddhist people. Do you know I have never won an argument? You don't win an argument and leave a person to lead a person to Jesus. I have been, I have witnessed debates by these people who call apologists. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I have a lot of, you know, awe for people who can think through stuff and win an argument. But all you're doing is debating. The gospel is not about debating. You cannot win a person to Jesus through my excellence in debating skills. And if we get sucked into that, that's where we'll be. Jesus will never emerge out of arguments and debating. Notice what he does. He just goes right to the scriptures. The old, old story. That's what he does. And he does that with this constancy of being in the Holy Spirit. If he had gone into the debates of, of these people called the synagogue of the freedman, you know, they, these are people who have their own debates. They were Gnostic Jewish people. There were people that, that, that wanted to talk about the logos. They wanted to talk about uh, these gods and that god and how do you engage with this god and that god. And, and all you're left with is, is to deal with those kinds of issues. But Stephen doesn't do that. 
He doesn't do that. So then, they look at him. Verse 10, it says, But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. That's the constancy of the gospel. Where when people look at us, they say, I don't know where did that come from. I don't know how does this person speak? How does this person think? Because this is beyond my understanding. That's where people are able to see the work of the Holy Spirit. So there's the context, there's the cause behind the gospel, there's the consequence of the gospel, but there's the constancy of the calling, which is this constant dependence on the Holy Spirit, where people look at the words and they say, these are not his words. You know, some of the finest papers that I've written um, at Trinity were papers, when I read them now, I say, I don't know, where, I don't know where did this come from? Yes, my name is there, but I don't know where did this come from? This cannot be me. And that's when I would say, thank you, Lord. Because you can't make this, and I say this to MDiv students and to PhD students all the time, that this is a spiritual experience. This is not an intellectual experience. When you're able to look at what you have said or what you have written, and you say, this is not me, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is the only lasting thing that will last. And Stephen says, thank you, Lord. But look at the consequence again. They, they call up people who, who come and, and they accuse Stephen of all kinds of things. We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And, and we, have, we, have, we, we, we have heard him say that this Jesus is going to destroy the temple and, and, and so on and so forth. You know, some of the most egregious allegations against the early church were not what we would consider to be egregious. This has to do with theology. This has to do with God. This has to do with the temple of God. And it goes to the gut of the people, right? When people come up against you and allegations against you have to do with finances or have to do with some of the other stuff, whether it be sex or whatever it may be, you can still deal with it. But when people come at you and say, he is talking against God, he is talking against the Bible, he is talking against the church, you have nowhere else to go. It hits you at the gut of ministry, and that's what they did to Stephen here. But Stephen looks at them and they say, hmm, that's what they did against Jesus, right? That's what they did to Jesus. They accused him of going against the word of God, Moses. 
They accused him of going against the prophets. And they accused him of saying that I'm going to destroy this temple. That's the very heart of orthodox religion at that time. But look at what Stephen does. He doesn't get sucked into that as well. If he had gotten stuck, sucked into that argument, that's where he would have stayed. He just remains calm. In a prayerful attitude. And verse 15 is so powerful. It says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin just looked at Stephen. They kept looking at him and kept staring into his face. And they looked at him, and they looked at him, and they looked at him. And they saw that his face was like, just like the face of, it says an angel in the, in the English translation. But, but really those words in Greek, always in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, refers to the pre-incarnate image of Christ. Whenever God appeared to Abraham or to Hagar, or to Moses at the burning bush, or to Saul, or to Samuel, or to Isaiah. It always says the angel of the Lord appeared to them. That is Jesus himself. When they saw the face of Stephen, they saw the face of Jesus. Because he didn't get sucked into whatever the agenda the world brought around him. That's how we preach the gospel. That's how we become the gospel. I think too many people in the church and too many churches are getting sucked into the agenda of the world. Whatever the media brings in that direction or, 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 or social organizations are bringing in our direction, social media is bringing in our direction. I think we've got to be very clear that the gospel is the gospel. And when the church gets sucked into all of those things, whatever it is, the agenda of the church is taken away and is hijacked by the world around us. Stephen did not do that. Instead of that, he turns to the Bible and just tells the old, old story. Isn't that fascinating? Notice that also, notice his conduct, his countenance, but notice also his conduct. He calls them brothers. I love it, don't you? I mean, he could have called them scoundrels. He could have called them, called them whatever worst terms you can think of in Korean or in Chinese or in, in Malayalam or, you know, he could have called them all sorts of stuff, right? But he calls them brothers. It's so important that when people look at us, they look at our conduct and say, this person's honorable. And no matter what they do, we still call them brothers, sisters. And we behave with them as if they're just a part of the family. They're not the other. We are all the creation of God. And so that's what Stephen does. He says, brothers, brothers, and fathers. You know, that's something I think Asian 
society can teach the rest of society. We honor our elders, right? It's so important to honor our elders. And it's so important that that be the attitude of a church like Redeemer Life Church. Our elders are our fathers. And so he goes and he talks about the old, old story. The content of the gospel is just the old, old story. Very simple. It's the story of Abraham. It's the story of Moses. It's the story of David. It's the story of the prophets which they, of course, are listening to him. They're listening to him. They're saying, yes, 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 this is what we believe. This is what we believe. This is what we believe. That is what the nature of the gospel is. We come up with bridges where people are able to say, yes, I understand. Yes, yes, I understand. I understand. And we become a part of the community because there cannot be any communication without identifying with the people. I think too much of the church is separated from the rest of the world, and because of that, we cannot communicate with the people. Stephen here comes at the same level, and he says, you know the story, you know the story, and then he drops the, the, the base, basic essence of the gospel, the core of the gospel, and what is that? Look at this. It's so powerful. Talks about Moses, talks about David, and we're coming toward to the end of, of chapter 7 here. He talks about how my people, us, have done bad things to the prophets. And then as he goes on further, he says, Verse 15, 51 and onwards, and I'm going to read this. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still un uncircumcised. You are just like our ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet? Your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law and have given that was given to the angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They were beside themselves. They were just gnashing their teeth. I mean, this is the worst form of what they didn't know what to do with themselves. But then it goes on to say, verse 55, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Notice that over and over again. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, which means Jesus is equal to God. Yesterday I took students to, to the Baha'i Temple. And if you go to the Baha'i, have you been to the Baha'i Temple? Oh, you've got to go on a world religion, religion trip with me, and let's give the gospel to people as we go along. Right on top, there is this thing. It's called Baha'u'llah, which means glory of God. And I looked at my students, and they said, that is Jesus. Baha'u'llah is the glory of God. And that's who they are searching for. Let us give them Baha'u'llah which is the glory of God. And that is Jesus that is seen here by, 
by Stephen. And, and, and he talks about how this Jesus is, is God himself. Verse 56, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, which in Greek means he is God himself. And of course the people knew what he was saying. And so they said, we've heard enough, let's kill him. And they killed him. They stoned him to death, which is one of the most horrible forms of death one can ever encounter. But look at what Stephen does. The core of the gospel, but also the condoneness of the gospel, in which he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So powerful, isn't it? Just like his Messiah. Jesus, who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Martyrs of the gospel have always said that. And they still always say that, whether it be in Iraq, or it be in Romania, or it be in Pakistan. Thank God we don't have that kind of persecution. But maybe we will come upon a time like that also. Till then, we've got to stand behind our sisters and brothers who say the same thing. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And because of that, I have seen people turn to Jesus. So powerful, isn't it?